All right, let me once again welcome you to the Digital Cathedral on a Sunday morning. Good to have you with me from wherever you're watching uh, this teaching, whether it's in the United States or Europe or Africa or Australia, India. It's amazing that we catch people from all over the world that are part of this community that gathers on Sunday morning and study God's Word together. We're in, a, we're in a real interesting study. We kicked it off last week. For those of you that missed last week, you might want to go back and look at the teaching last week. The teaching last week was entitled, Paul Teaches Hyper Grace. And what we did was kick off our study of Galatians, and we took the first 10 verses of the first chapter. And what we established last week, very simply, was that there is no gospel outside the gospel that Paul preached. And we need to fix that in our minds. Uh, if you were with me through the series I did leading up to this on Unhooked, you know that Paul comes with a post-resurrection post message that is directed to Gentiles. So as we study the books of Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians this year, and man, there's so much richness in these books. I, I started this last week, and as I stood here teaching, even as I looked at those verses, I saw a lot more than what I had planned to say. And as a result, I didn't get out everything I wanted to say. And I didn't even be, wasn't able to say everything that I was seeing even last Sunday morning. So you can't ever get uh, beyond the depth of what the scriptures teach us. I, 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 I'm a Bible guy. I'll, I'll admit to you, I have not abandoned my Bible I know there are a lot of people right now that are questioning their Bibles, and I've changed my stance, my view a little bit on Scripture. I don't think it's infallible. I, I, I know that there are things that are recorded that are not accurate. I recognize that. <clears throat> but I also recognize there are riches in the Bible, in Scripture, that I can pick up on that unfold a lot of truth for me and, and, and enable me to... Uh, be a Christ follower far better than I can be without the Bible. Let me put it that way. I've, I've kind of changed uh, my position a little bit. I, I lean a lot more to the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit within us now than Scripture. I used to honestly had Scripture in first place and would look for Scripture to affirm what the Spirit of God was saying. But now I say, hear what the Spirit of God is saying. And uh, I look for Scripture just to back up and pull and give me some foundation for what I'm seeing. Didn't mean to say that, but I think it's as we come through the Bible that we, we have uh, a respect for uh, what was written and what was assembled for our edification, for our teaching, for our instruction. So last week we established that there's no gospel outside the gospel that Paul taught. Paul's message was pure grace, no, no uh, mixture to it. He didn't bring in any law. And we're, we're still in this part of, of Galatians where he's dealing with these brand new believers that he awakened in southern Turkey, in Galatia. In New Testament terms, it is Galatia. Today on the map, it'd be southern Turkey. Paul opened their eyes up and lo and behold, as soon as he left, there were religious people that came in that were Jewish believers. Uh, they believed in Jesus, but they also believed that they needed to keep the law all the ceremonies, the traditions. We have the same group in the church today. And I don't, I've never been drawn to the Jewishness of uh, Christianity. I know there are people that keep the, the, the feasts and the meals and all that stuff. That's fine if that, if that lights your fire. But Paul was dealing with people now that had a, added to the simplicity of the grace message that Paul brought them the law, and they were coming, and they were very confused. So Paul's using this book of Galatians, which is a tremendous guide to freedom. It's Paul's, Paul's work on the freedom that we have in Christ to bring them back to a place of authenticity that he taught them in the very beginning. So Paul takes Jesus and sets him center stage. Jesus plus nothing else, not Jesus plus circumcision, not Jesus plus Ten Commandments, not Jesus plus uh, the laws of the Baptist Church or the Catholic Church or the Lutheran Church. He sets him center stage as the source, as the sustainer and the finisher of our salvation, of everything that, that he died to give us. And so... Uh, we have mixture today, a lot of mixture in the church today that the, the spirit of truth is weeding out. 
Paul's not saying that we had to add our faith, our belief, our confession, our better actions. We, there, there's nothing that you and I can add to the mix. And Paul said when you do that, you pervert the gospel. You distort it. You're not seeing it correctly. Uh, and that's kind of hard on our religious mind because we have some very deeply entrenched ideas about what we have to do and what we should not do in order to be a good Christian. And Paul just systematically debunks all of that. He brings liberation and, 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 and freedom to just trust in Jesus' faith, his obedience, and his finished work as ours. He is my obedience. I'm no longer striving to be obedient. I was obedient with the obedience of Christ. I'm not looking to, to uh, die, crucify my flesh. My old man was crucified with Christ. You see, so a lot of this stuff that we've picked up in religion and church that is added to the gospel by making us think what we have to do, what we have to be, what we have to arise to, Paul debunks. Paul said, don't move off the gospel that I've given to you. Don't give an ear to what the Judaizers are saying. So in verses 11 to 16, we're going to break it down into a couple sections today. In verses 11 to 16, he gives a great insight that we can relate to as he talks about his, his journey from religion to revelation. And that's actually the title of the message this morning, of the teaching, moving from religion to revelation. We're going to look at Paul's journey, and probably you're going to be able to relate to some of that journey your, yourself in your life as you have journeyed from religion to the freedom of revelation. So let's, let me read verses 11 to 16, and we're, we'll kind of go through it verse by verse, which is what we're doing. Verse 11, down through verse 16. He said, I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached to me was not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor, I, I taught, nor, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now understand now, Paul, Paul's a guy who had a great Ju Judaistic background. Great education. He was, well, he's going to tell us in verse 13. For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure. I tried to destroy it. This guy was bad news. Verse 14. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. This man was hip deep in religion. Hip deep. He was, he was totally enthralled, zealous, feeling that he was doing the work of God by destroying the church, capturing Christians, murdering Christians. Paul murdered people. And he's laying this out. But in verse 15, he says, but when it pleased God... There was a timing to this. Who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those that were apostles before me, but I went into the desert to Arabia. And then he said, after my time there, I went to Damascus. So he... He gives us a little bit of insight, doesn't he, into his own personal life. In the journey that he made from being deeply entrenched in Judaism. And how he came out of that into uh, the revelation that Jesus brought to him, handpicked him, and delivered to Paul himself. So he's talking about a, a, a journey from from bondage to freedom. And then in verses 18 through 24, the rest of the chapter, he tells us what to do with the revelation after you receive it. All right, so verses 11 to 16, he talks about, here's my journey. Verses 18 to 24, he says, after you get the revelation, what do you do with it? He said, let me explain to you how you deal with it. So let, let's go back and let's walk through this a little bit. Let's look at verse 11. He said, I want you to know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me was not according to man. This is important because the Judaizers that came in were giving the, the Galatian church a man-made religious picture. And Paul said, I, I, that's not where I'm coming from. 
Verse 12, he said, I didn't receive it from man. I wasn't taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know, this, what gives you boldness is revelation. When, when revelation comes and it brings light to your spirit man, it, it carries this, you just know that you know that you know. What gave, what gave Paul this boldness, I think, was, was that he knew that what he had came to him directly from Jesus. He wasn't taught it in seminary. He, it wasn't handed down to him through a conference or, or a Sunday morning church service. He got, it, he got it from the Spirit of God. He got it straight from Jesus. And that gives you confidence. It, does, it doesn't make you haughty or arrogant, but, uh, but in fact, it feeds humility. When I look at everything that I have learned in the last 15, 16 years, it doesn't make me proud or arrogant. What it tells me is that I couldn't have gotten what I have through my intellect, my cleverness, my ability to connect the dots or do all the things you normally would do to come to an understanding of a message. I feel like what my stability comes from the fact that it has come from revelation. When what you see is taught to you by men, it enters your head, it enters your soul. And it lacks, it lacks this spirit punch that revelation carries. Revelation carries a, a punch to it. It, it. it puts you on a different frequency. It, it, it resonates with your inner man. That's what revelation does. And when it, when it resonates with your inner man, you're able to grab it and it becomes yours. Now, sometimes that revelation works in combination. I have gotten great revelation listening to other people teach. You know, sometimes I will, I will listen to a grace teacher, finished works teacher, teach something, and what he's saying will spur this over here that the Spirit of God shows me. And I hope that happens to you on the digital cathedral. I might be, I might be teaching A, B, C, and the Spirit of God says, right there it is for you, D, E, F. Shows you something that's different, but it was spurred by what I said. There are times I read a book, and it resonates in my spirit, and all of a sudden I see something that's it's not what the book taught in that subject. It's in something else. But that's the way the Spirit of God works. That's the way revelation comes. And when it comes to you, it carries a punch. It resonates. It's not, it's not an intellectual ascent. It's not a mental ascent to something where you say, I got my head around it. I think I got it now. No, it resonates in your spirit and it becomes you. See, religion will make you a parrot. You just, you just vomit up everything that you've learned and been taught. Revelation makes you a trumpet. You're able to sound a blast, the frequency, a sound that resonates with people. So in verse 11 and 12, he's just saying, what I'm bringing to you, man, nobody gave it to me. I got it from him. And because he got it from him, it, it created a real knowing that he knew. It created a confidence and a boldness in him that kept him strong when he faced all kinds of adversity. All right, let's read out verse 13. He said, for you heard of my, my former conduct in Judaism, how I, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. He's laying himself, he's being transparent here. He's saying, guys, I was full of dead, dead work. I was full of education. I was full of misguided priorities. You know, it's, it's easy to look at that and get a little discouraged. Maybe even be filled with a little bit of animosity for all the error that you've been taught. But it, in, that, in that religious misguided priorities, there is a level of zeal and enthusiasm that religion generates and it carries the deception with it that you're pleasing God somehow. Paul thought he was doing God, God's service when he persecuted the church, when he killed Christians, when he tried to wipe the church off the face of the earth. He thought he was doing God a favor, and it created zeal in him. It created uh, 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 an enthusiasm. He carried the deception of what he was doing because he thought he was pleasing God, and that created, that created some excitement. Tradition always tries to snuff out what what doesn't agree with tradition. That's what religion does. It, in Colossians chapter 2, Colossians chapter 2 and verse 6, 
Paul says, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, he said, walk in it. He said, I want you to be rooted and grounded in him, established in the faith, and abound in it with thanksgiving. Now he says in verse 8, he said, now verse 6 and 7 is the way I want you to be. But in verse 8, there will be people that come, Paul says, that try to cheat you through philosophy and vain deceit according to the traditions of man, according to basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. Religion carries with it a zeal that tries to snuff out, that tries to uh, make you not be excited about the revelation that you've received. And it's amazing how, how zealous and enthused religious people can become carrying a deception that they're doing God a favor and, and, and through their, what Paul said in Colossians, through philosophy and traditions of men, try to negate what he said in verse 6 and 7 of Colossians 2, this life of excitement that you have in him, they try to, you know, they try to poo-poo it. Here's, here's something you need to understand. The greatest threat to whatever God is doing today are those that were part of what God did yesterday but refused to move to what he's doing today. For example, evangelical fundamentalists tried to kill the charismatic move in the 70s. When the charismatic move really began to come on and the Holy Spirit began very active and gifts were flowing and people were being baptized in the Holy Spirit, those that came against it were the evangelical fundamentalists. Now today we're into a move where, where the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Truth is taking us into grace, finished work, authentic identity, uh, fatherhood of God, sonship manifesting. Uh, and you know who's trying to kill that? The charismatics. The biggest, the biggest people that I, I that oppose, it seems like the message I bring are those that are Pentecostal charismatic backgrounds. So as you come into present truth, the, 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 the friends that you have, the friends that you thought you had that you lose, watch if I'm not telling you the truth. The friends that you lose as you come into grace and finished work and unconditional love, mercy that endures forever, the fatherhood of God, you begin to manifest as a son. The, the friends that you lose will be evangelicals and charismatics. And they will be quick to tell you that you're an heir, that you're following heresy, and they come at you then with traditions of men and well-established doctrines that have been accepted for a couple of generations. Forgetting that they were the ones that were persecuted in the 70s, the 60s and the 70s by the fundamentalist evangelicals that refused to move to what the Spirit of God was doing in the 70s. Jesus encountered it. This, this is mind-blowing. This is Jesus himself. Look in John chapter 6. Let me show you how this works. John chapter 6. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. <clears throat> John chapter 6, verse 56. Jesus is doing, Jesus is doing this revolutionary teaching. And in John 6, verse 56, he said, He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. And they go, whoa, whoa. Now those people that want to take the Bible literally, I don't know what you're going to do with that verse. He who eats my flesh drinks my blood. Now if you take that literally, it sounds like cannibalism. That was a hard teaching. They, the guys that were with him, his disciples, large group, huge group, multitude, said, hold on, man, that's, that's pretty tough stuff. In verse 60, it says, therefore, when Jesus was teaching that, therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard it, says, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? We can't receive this. This is absolutely contrary. We haven't heard anything like this before. We're not sure we can digest this one. So Jesus goes on in verse 65. And he says, Therefore I have said to you that no one can come to me unless the Father has been granted to him by my Father. 
In verse 66 it says, From that time many of his disciples went back and they didn't walk with Jesus anymore. Jesus lost a whole bunch of friends, disciples. This wasn't the multitude. This wasn't the Pharisees. This wasn't the, the Judaizers. This, these were disciples, it says. Many of his disciples left and didn't walk with him anymore. They couldn't go to the level that he was going to. And that's what's going to happen many times with you. You're going to lose friends. The friends that you lose will be charismatics and evangelicals. Then Jesus says in verse 67, he said to the 12. <laughs> Jesus went from having a mega church in John chapter 6 verse 59. He went from a mega church. He did one hard teaching they couldn't handle and he's now got 12. Now in the natural, that would have, that would have been discouraging. That would have been very discouraging. But there they are, man. They are the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, when you move from religion to revelation, there is generally, listen to me, there is generally a game-changing revelation that you get. One that just changes everything. There's, there's this defining moment that arises that breaks you absolutely free. That, that's... This revelation that comes in, it's like the kryptonite to everything you've ever... It just explodes everything that you believe. Now, I was walking in the grace message in 2003, 2004, but it wasn't until about 2008, 2009, somewhere right in there. I'm not sure the exact date or year. But the revelation that was kryptonite to me was a revelation of the fatherhood of God. I don't, you know, we call God Father, we prayed Father... Father, help us, you know, we'd, we'd pray, but it, I, I, I listened to it, but I never heard it. I never heard the, I listened, Father, but I never heard it. Do you understand? The word never became me, fatherhood. When I, when I got a revelation of the fatherhood of God, it, 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 it changed my whole view of God. I saw him as a father. It, it absolutely, when I understood his love, the father's love, it blew up my concept of eternal conscious torment. It, it just, it, it was the kryptonite to everything that I had believed. I was walking in grace. I understood grace and liberty and freedom. I had abandoned, you know, the, the laws and the, the standards and all that stuff. Now, for Paul, it was something else. For Paul, it was, it was verses 15 and 16. Let's come back to Galatians chapter 1, if you're still over in John with me. Galatians chapter 1. This, this is the revelation. This, this is what blew Paul up. And this became then the centerpiece of the message that he delivered to the Gentiles. Now remember the Gentiles? They either were pagan worshipers or they knew, they knew about the Ju Judaism, but they knew they were separate. They were not included. So Paul has this revelation that just blows up everything. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 15, he said, When it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace. So he's got the grace. Now here's what followed that. To reveal his son in me, that I might preach him, this son that is in us, among the Gentiles. Now this, this is the revelation. This Christ in you. Christ, this became the centerpiece of Paul's message. And it radically changed how Paul saw himself. He now saw himself as the possessor, always the possessor. Even when he was persecuting the church, killing Christians, there was the Christ that was in him. He, he didn't know it, he wasn't awakened to it, but Christ was in him. It radically, radically changed how he saw other people. It radically changed how he saw the plan of God. To, notice he said it wasn't that Christ was revealed to him. Now that's how most of us have lived our, our lives. You know, we feel like, okay, Christ was revealed to me. Paul says, no, 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 no. It's much more intimate. It's much more real. It's, it's much more basic than that. I'm talking to you about the Christ that is in you Gentiles. You pagan worshipers, you that had no, no spiritual religious background, you that had no real idea who God even was. There was a Christ that was in you. 
The word, the word in is the word, it, it's the Greek word en. It means fixed position. It means in place. He said, I want to please God to reveal the Christ that had a fixed place within me. It, see, you know what that does? When you, that's the gospel, friends. When you can tell somebody, when you can, when you can tell the guy at Starbucks that Christ is in him, you know what it does? It blows away this idea that you have to ask Jesus from out there to come live within you. It eliminates the idea of separation. It eliminates the idea of the have and the have-nots. It eliminates the idea of the insider and the outsider. It eliminates we have it, they don't have it. It eliminates the idea that I've got, if I don't save them, Jesus will never live in them. No, Paul said the revelation is that Christ is in you. But look, at, look over here, Colossians chapter 1, verse 26. Colossians chapter 1, verse 26. He said, There is a mystery which has been hidden for ages but, and from generations, but is now being revealed to the saints. Verse 27. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of the mystery. Watch. The mystery that has been hidden among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you Gentiles. I don't know where we got this idea that we had to ask from out there to come live in our lives. That's a powerful proof text for the awakening to what is already there, already true. It nixes this whole idea that we've taken from John chapter 3 where Jesus spoke one time to one man in the middle of the night and said, you must be born again. You see, if you are in union with Christ then you are a brand new creation. You're not a, a made-over old something. You're not a regenerated. A regenerate means that you were generated. Now we're trying to crank you up and get you started again. You're not a remake. You're a species of being that this planet has never seen before. You have a changed DNA. Isn't that what Peter was getting at in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 4 when he said there have been given to us exceeding great and precious promises that by these exceeding great and precious promises you would know that you are a partaker of the divine nature. All right, now divine nature, you don't get just a little bit of it. There's not a junior divine nature that you have and Jesus has a big senior divine nature. When you have the divine nature, you've got all of it. That divine nature made residence within you when you were co-resurrected with Jesus. You were co-crucified, co-buried, co-resurrected, co-ascended. You've changed. That created a new creation. Now, I, I, I've read Galatians chapter 1, verse 16. I've read it for, you know, I read it for 50 years before I actually heard it. I never, I never saw what Paul said that it was Christ in him that God revealed. And that's what turned his world upside down. I, I read it, I'm sure I read it as he revealed Christ to him. Because that's what I believed had to happen, that the Holy Spirit had to reveal Christ to you. You know, like you're separated from him and all of a sudden now he gets a hold of Jesus, one hand gets hold of your other hand and says, okay, now I need to introduce you two together. Now there's no introduction that takes, that takes place. Christ is in you. Colossians chapter 1, he says, there's a mystery that's been hidden for generations. That the Gentiles, those that are not religious, those that, are, that would have, have been over here worshiping some kind of pagan deity, they need to hear this. They need to hear that it's Christ in you. That's what our message is. That's what we need to tell them at the jails, the prisons, the halfway houses, in every church across America and around the world. They need to hear the message that Christ is in you. That was Paul's message. All right? The divine nature. I read that over. I never saw that before. Jesus appeared to Paul on the Damascus Road, and what he revealed to him was the Christ that was in him. The Christ that is in you is the result of the end of the first Adam 
and the placing of the last Adam in every man. When Jesus went to the cross, all of humanity went to the cross with him. The old Adam died. That race of being, that race of man died. There is no Adam anymore, first Adam. You say there isn't? No, look at this. I guess I need to be legal with you about this. Romans chapter 5, Romans chapter 5 and verse 19. Romans chapter 5 and verse 19 says, For as many... For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. Who's that one man's disobedience? That was Adam. And as a result of Adam's disobedience, we got into our heads some error. We were duped. We, we didn't know our authentic identity. And so we begin to act in a way that we really weren't. We begin to act like people that we, that we thought we were, but we weren't really. So by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So also by one man's obedience, Christ, many will be made righteous. So that righteousness, he made us righteous. Righteousness, righteousness took up a fixed position in you. Righteousness is a man, isn't it? It's, it's Jesus the Christ. Christ made you righteous. Righteousness is a fixed position within you as a result of the second Adam, the last Adam, taking residence in you because of the death, burial, and resurrection of you and Christ as one. Now I'm going to tell you something. When you got that kind of revelation dropped into your life, what do you do? What did Paul do? Here's a great lesson here. Great lesson here. Come back to Galatians with me. Let's read verses that last half of verse 16 and the first half and, and verse 17. Galatians chapter 1, uh, verse 16. <clears throat> he said, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. After I got this revelation of the Christ that was in me, I didn't, I didn't confer with flesh and blood. Nor did I go to Jerusalem to those that were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia. I went into the desert. I had to let this thing settle in. I had to get a handle on this. I had to spend some time alone by myself. I had to let the spirit of truth continue to work with me. I, 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 this is what I did. Why, why, why did you do that? Why, why not just go out and tell everybody? Why not? Because, you know, he had to get him out of it. He had to remove him from the message. Why don't, why don't you just go tell everyone? Why did he go out and why don't, why don't you just, why didn't Paul just run up to the apostles? Why did he just go up to Jerusalem and say, guys, look, I, I've, I got this great revelation. Look, look at this, Christ is in all the Gentiles. You know why not? Because they'll talk you out of it. When you run over to the church and you tell them everything that you're seeing and that the Spirit of God is revealing to you, and they're a mixed message group, they're going to talk you out of it. They're going to call you a heretic. <clears throat> they're going to tell you that you've fallen for deception. And you know that you know that you know what's going on inside of you, but you begin to listen to it. You'll, you'll get shot down. You'll, you'll be discouraged by it. You can't. He had to get out by himself. You need to let it simmer and let it cook. There are things, I'm telling you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to pull back the curtain a little bit on me. There are things I'm itching to teach beyond what we're doing, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. This is good foundational basic stuff. We're going to discover some good truth. But I'm seeing things by the Spirit that I'm itching to teach, but I'm, I, I, I'm not, re I'm, I'm learning that if you're not released to teach it, you hold it. And right now I'm seeing some value of holding it because I'm, I'm seeing it more. I'm seeing it more clearly. I'm, I'm not seeing it as distorted as I first saw. See, revelation comes. It's, it's kind of a little bit fuzzy at first. You, you got the idea. It's simmering in your spirit. But the more you let it cook, the sharper it gets. I'm seeing some things I want to, I, I, I'd love to share. I'd love to say. I can't. I'm, I'm not going to do it. I've learned my lesson from 15 years ago. Revelation without foundation produces condemnation. 
When you run over to the church and you tell everybody everything you know, that revelation without the foundation in those people's lives will always produce condemnation towards you. So what did Paul do? Paul did not run up and begin to blab everything that he saw. You let it simmer and he let it cook. And that's what he did. Look at this in verses 18 down to 23. <clears throat> he said, verse 17, he said, I, I, I went out into Arabia. I returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter. He didn't, he didn't want to tell everybody. He did, just said, I need to pick one guy out. So he went to Peter. And he spent 15 days with Peter. He said, verse 19, I didn't see the other apostles. I didn't accept James, the Lord's brother. Now concerning the things which I wrote to you indeed before God, I don't lie. He said, afterward, I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia. And I was unknown by face to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But they were hearing only, he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy, and they glorify God in me. What is he saying here? He's saying in verses 18 to 23, he said, I went back home, and I just began to put my toe into the pool. I began to travel around a little bit. I began to share my testimony. I began to share with believers what, what Christ has shown me and what he's done in my life. I didn't make a big deal out of it. I didn't make a big splash. I didn't rent the auditorium and put out flyers and, and advertising and try to get a crowd. He said, I just went low key. And he said in verse 24, it really worked because they begin to glorify the God that they saw was in me. There, when, you, when, when, when the release comes, you go easy with it. You go to those that he selects for you to go to. And you know what? they will confirm it and there will be a fruit that is produced. They glorified the God that was in Paul. So there's this road that comes from religion to revelation. Paul traveled it. Come back to, let me read verses 13 and 14. He traveled it. Look at verse 13. For you've heard of my former conduct in Judaism. I persecuted the church beyond measure. I advanced in Judaism. I had a zealous actions. I tried to hold all the traditions of my father's. Right? So he, he was traveling this road. He went from religion to revelation. Revelation, when it hit him in verse 15, at the right time, God revealed to him the Christ that was in him. It's, it's that but of verse 15 that turned his world upside down. See, here's the message. When you encounter Jesus and the light that comes on with that revelation... All that self-righteousness, all that law-imposed behavior, all that modification that you went through in trying to make your actions line up, all those things we call Christianity, it'll change. The powerful thing about light is this. Light always dispels darkness. Darkness cannot stand in the presence of light. When you... When you are, are filled with light and love. It eliminates all fear of torment. All of a sudden, it's, it's a different world. The Christ that is in you illuminates his done. It dries out all your due. All of a sudden, all your due is like filthy rags. The Christ that is in you is going to open your eyes and change your thinking about some things. And as he does there, let me hit four or five things that are the tip of the fountain of life that is now springing up and rising within you because of the Christ that is in you <clears throat> and the confidence that grace has produced in your life. Let, let me just talk to you about some signposts that you will see, okay, I've ticked that off. That's coming to pass in my life. As you move from religion to revelation, the first thing that you're, you're, you're going to begin to notice is a confidence that the grace that brought you into full relationship with the Christ in you will be the grace that keeps you. You won't come out of grace and then try to affirm it by your behavior and your actions and the laws of your church. Watch this. Ephesians chapter 4. 
Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 7. But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of the gift of Christ. That grace, that gift of Christ, I mean, there's so much grace in the gift of Christ that Paul said in another place is going to take us ages to come. It's going to take us ages to come to get to the bottom of the, of the grace that he's demonstrated toward us in Christ Jesus. So what, what, when, you, when you, all of a sudden, you, you know what? He brought me in by grace. He keeps me by grace. I, he didn't bring me in by grace. Now expects me to keep it by my actions. And that's a phase you kind of go through as you come out of religion to revelation. In verse 6, he says, There's one God and Father of all who's above all, through all, and in all. That God kept you, brought you in by grace. He'll keep you by grace. You see that Father of all, he takes full responsibility for you. He didn't ask you, he just graced you. And if, you're, if your earthly father protected you, provided security for you, loved you through all your crazy mistakes as a youth, didn't abandon you, and you didn't even thank him for it. I was thinking back on my childhood, all the meals I ate at home, and I never thanked my parents for food. I just, it's dinner time, you eat. I never thanked them for the roof that was over my head. I appreciate it now that I have to pay for my own roof. I didn't. It, and if my, my earthly father provided all that for me, and I never even said thank you. How much more is my heavenly father going to provide? So you come into this tremendous confidence that the grace that, 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 illuminated and brought revelation of grace that saved you is strong enough it keeps you you don't have to all of a sudden begin to earn it or merit it number two you're going to notice that the knowledge that you possess tells you that you have all things there is a knowledge that you possess all things you're not waiting for God to come you're not waiting for God to show up you're not waiting for the Holy Spirit to fall you're not fasting to convince God you have a knowledge that now you possess all things Romans chapter 8 verse 32 says, How shall he not with Christ freely give us all things? With that Christ in you, you're now a possessor of all things. I'll tell you what, man, that, that changed my prayer life. I can't tell you the last time I asked for something in prayer. I have realized now that with Christ I have freely been given all things. If he thought enough to, to give me Christ, certainly he's thought enough of me to give me everything else. Why, why do you think it was that Jesus never prayed to have any of his needs met? Why did Jesus never pray for finances? Why did Jesus never pray for, for a place to live? Why did Jesus never pray for a donkey to ride? Why did Jesus never pray for anything personally for his needs to be met? John chapter 16, verse 15, I think is pretty plain. Jesus said, the Father has given to the Son all things. So Jesus lived out of that source of all things. Oh, and there's some things I want to talk to you about that, how you tap into that. <clears throat> but I'm going to wait till I, I've got the fruit, I've got the goods before I share. Jesus lived out of that source. From that source came the supply in all kinds of forms that he needed. That's what Paul's driving at with the Christ that is in you. All that Christ has when he takes up residence within you. All he has, he brings with him to live within you. Paul said, Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, the life that I live, I don't live unto myself. I live it by the Christ that lives within me. That's how Paul Number three, you're going to notice that you have a righteous consciousness. With the revelation of the Christ in you, when that comes, all of a sudden now you, the sin consciousness goes. The righteous consciousness of Jesus and the sin consciousness of religion cannot dwell in the same habitation. When the light comes in, the darkness goes. When the righteous consciousness comes in, the works righteousness has got to leave. Grace himself displaces anything that would create a sin consciousness. Faith consciousness won't dwell. Let me say it again. Righteous consciousness won't dwell with works consciousness. Effortless 
change comes as you recognize the Christ that is within you. As you release the Christ that is within you, you change. Not that you're trying to change, it's Christ that's changing you. I, ho I hope you're hearing this and you're not just listening. Listening is very superficial. Hearing is when it enters your spirit and that word becomes your flesh. Now the Christ in you, Revelation, one more thing and then I'm, I'm done. He's going to restore the living word to a position over the written word. It's going to reverse itself. Most of us at the Digital Cathedral, we come from church backgrounds that took the Bible as the absolute guide and unfailing source of all things. And you know me, I'm not, I'm not downplaying my Bible. We're studying it, we're going through books. But I'll tell you what, the Christ in you revelation flips the reverse to where now the spirit of truth that resides in you becomes the primary source to lead you. And what you read in here is going to come and you're going to see, ah, I see it in Paul. I see it in Jesus. I see it in John. I, I see it in Mo. I see what the Spirit of God is saying to me. I see it in those guys. So this becomes a backup rather than the primary. Are you with me? The reason you read this is to encounter Jesus. You understand? You read this to encounter Jesus. You read this to reveal the Christ that is within you, which is the tree of life. You, you don't read this to find out what to do, what not to do, how to live, how not to live. That's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's why we've got 40,000 denominations today. They've taken this book and tried to make it a guide to life. It's not the guide to life. The spirit of truth that resides within you is the guide to life. And he's there because Christ is in you. Do you see what that revelation leads to? So if you've lived, let me say in conclusion, if you've lived the journey from religion to revelation, as we just studied in these verses today, you might feel a little bit angry. I deal on social media with people that are hostile toward the church. They're disappointed in everything that dead religion fed us. And I, people react in different ways. I, it never made me angry or mad at my seminary professors. Never made me angry about the years I spent that I wish I could reclaim that were in school. Because I don't teach any of it. I, I don't believe most of it anymore. But some people get really hostile and angry. You know what my advice to you is? Don't let it make you mad. Don't let it make you angry. If you're deconstructing, I don't particularly like the word deconstruct. I think it's a negative term. In my life, I felt that as I constructed truth, the air automatically was gone. I, I, didn't, I didn't look at stuff and say, I don't believe that. That's not true. I, until finally, you don't believe anything. I know people, they have no faith in anything. They don't know what they believe because they've just deconstructed with nothing to take its place. If you're angry and hostile at religion today, if you're angry at your old church or the pastor, my advice is let it go. I look back at the years I, I taught a mixture message. I didn't know it was a mixture message. I thought it was the truth. But it laid a good foundation for me to discern religion from revelation. So look at that time that you spent in religion as being something constructive. Paul did. You don't see Paul angry at what he used to believe when he came to Christ. He just said, that's who I used to be. I got rid of it. It's gone. This is the guy. This is me now. Let the spirit of truth lead you. Let the spirit of truth cement the Christ in you as the basis for every good thing that you experience from this point forward. And last thing I want to say in closing this morning is this. Learn to resist the Judaizers we studied last week in verses 1 to 10. Judaizers that want to pull you back into rules, that want to pull you back into restrictions, that want to, liber that want to limit, limit your liberty and freedom that you have in Christ, resist that. Resist your own mental inclinations to set up standards that you have to meet. Those things are not tied to the walk that you have of the Christ that is in you. I want you to be free this week. Want you to enjoy liberty this week. I want you to know that you've been called.
to a life that is in full recognition on an ongoing, unfolding basis of the Christ that is within you. All right, next week we're going to take chapter 2. Let me just see if I can get you the verses. Uh, we're going to hit, next week I want to take verses 1 through about 10 again. Let's go verses 1 to 10. I think that's just about right. Let me just make sure. Yeah, let's go verses 1 to 10 next week of chapter 2. Meditate it, think about it. Read it out of several versions. You'll see some different angles, some different perspectives, and it'll be good. I encourage you to join me Wednesday night on Wednesday night live on my Facebook page because we always go over a little bit on our Sunday morning teaching here at the Digital Cathedral. And if you don't know it, I am on the Don Keithley ministry page. I'm not on my Facebook page anymore on Wednesday. So if you have not gone over to Don Keithley ministry page on Facebook, just type it into your search bar. Don Keithley Ministries will take you over. You'll request to join. I'll accept your, your membership. And I'm, I'm kind of zeroing down. I'm limiting. I'm going from the multitude to the 70 on Wednesday night. Some things I'm probably going to say this year I don't want to say publicly. But I'll say for the 4,000 people that are on the Don Keithley ministry page. Fair enough? So that's where I'll be Wednesday night. I look for you then. Have a wonderful week. God bless you. See you back next Sunday morning, same time. We thank you for being with us today on the Digital Cathedral. We trust that today's teaching helped you in your journey to the abundant life Jesus has freely given to all. If you would like to help support us in spreading the gospel of grace, you can do so by going to donkeithley.com to make your donation. We thank you for your prayers and continued monthly support and look forward to seeing you again next week at the Digital Cathedral.